0: Hi there, welcome to the Freudcast. I'm Matt Barbet at Gold House in Davos for the return of the World Economic Forum. It usually takes place in snowy January, but after a pandemic enforced hiatus, this year it's been happening in May. Regardless of the weather, the heated debate and discussion has returned to the Swiss alpine town, and so has House. In this special episode, you'll get a flavour of what's been talked about and who's been doing the talking, as I caught up with a handful of those we've had through the doors, from Africa-based activists, through climate champions and campaigning CEOs, to artists breaking new ground online.
1: I'm Ina Moja, I'm from Mali, and I... I do a lot of things. I'm a musician, a photographer and I'm also a climate activist and I work a lot around social and gender justice.
0: Ina, what brings you here to Gold's House this year?
1: So uh, this year I became a young global leader and uh, at Gold's House today we hosted a panel on Web3 and how we can use, harness the power of creativity and have a good impact in real world using NFTs and the Web3 uh, ecosystem in general.
0: How much of a difference can it make to people's lives and also to achieving the the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals?
1: Uh, it's something that is super exciting because it is not a perfect technology, but it's such an innovative way. I think that we've just seen just uh, maybe 1% of what we can achieve with the with this space. And uh, the funding that it brings, it's disrupting the traditional way of fundraising and creating partnership and awareness around uh, climate solutions and social and gender issues. And uh, have I help breed you know, uh, the communities and uh, people from the Web3 space to real life communities who are living on the front line of climate change. And I help create a partnership between them, a long term partnership.
0: Is it a big challenge that the wider world, wherever they happen to be, find it difficult to understand the way blockchain works and what NFT means and how they can trade in cryptocurrency to buy NFTs. Is that the biggest challenge facing this space?
1: Absolutely. It is something that is so new that even us who have been in the Web3 space building, we are learning things every day. And uh, it is normal to not understand anything. When I came in, I didn't understand anything like a majority of people, but there is education there and uh, we are doing a lot of education. Um, A lot of people are onboarding new people and uh, to do that, we have to let them know what it is and how to use it the best way possible, and uh, and the advantage and the consequences, etc., is super important that uh, we educate ourselves and we educate people.
0: If people take away one thing from Gold's House here or from Davos this year, what do you hope that will be?
1: There is an emergency, and we have to do something. We cannot just pose and think that the solutions uh, that we are going to come up. Uh, how do I say this? Okay, we have to get it going now. And we cannot just wait because the climate is changing and people's lives are changing and it's not going to stop for us uh, to find solutions. So we have to get in a hurry and, uh, and work in partnership with communities because they are the heart of everything and we have to include them into the solutions. We have to give them a voice.
2: Uh, I'm Nigel Topping. I'm from the UK and I'm uh, the UN High Level Climate Action Champion.
0: What have been the main conversations here at Davos this week, Nigel?
2: Really about how we, how we have solutions for both mitigation and for resilience, and that they are rapidly getting cheaper. That um, everybody knows we are going to go to zero, and we're getting there faster and faster. But we really need to focus on implementation, implementation, implementation. Um, you know, we don't need lofty promises. We need we need robust promises, but followed up by clear plans and then the flow of capital.
0: Have you noticed a difference here because of what was discussed in Glasgow at COP 26?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, Glasgow gave us a lot more urgency. Everybody agrees we we'll got to get to zero, and we've got to basically halve emissions this decade. And we know we're not going fast enough. And and everybody knows that billions of people are at risk already because of um, events exacerbated by climate change. And we need to find ways to create investable solutions for, for for those people as well.
0: If there was one thing people take away from Davos this week, what would you hope that would be? Speed up. Final question. We're standing just outside Gold's House, just being involved in a discussion about circular cities. Um, your, your view on the place, your view on the discussions that you've had here, the people you meet at Gold's House?
2: Um, well, there's been a really uh, enlivening conversation where everyone's talking about solutions, frankly, about what, what's working, what's not working. I and mean, one of my favorite examples, I mean, this conversation was co hosted by Wholesome um, and Bloomberg. So, really, really, Bloomberg tapping into the power of data and the competitive spirit of mayors to, to rank mayors in terms of circularity but also wholesome they, they they launched green cement which is 30% less carbon less than 2 years ago and all their competitors said no one will ever buy it already over 10% of the sales are in green cement so i think when people make the products that help us decur- decarbonize uh, they help build resilient lives and livelihoods then the the, the market is the total market
3: my name is Lily Cole. I'm originally from England but I'm now living in Lisbon in Portugal and I do lots of different things but the hat I'm wearing this week is more my kind of environmental work and so I wrote a book um, and have a podcast called Who Cares Wins looking at climate solutions.
0: What brings you to Davos this week Lily?
3: I came to moderate and host a session with Arctic Base Camp yesterday, looking at the intersections between conflict, the climate crisis and food security. Um, and I've also been attending events here at Gold's House.
0: How was that discussion around conflict and uh, and food security pretty pertinent at the moment?
3: Super pertinent. And I think it's it's good that we are looking at how interconnected the different environmental and social challenges we face are and I think having a more kind of systemic way of thinking about the challenges we need to address. Um, it was also fairly depressing because um, food security is a really big issue right now. Um, apparently, there are 49 countries globally that are almost on the brink of um, and already have already face um, kind of risk of famine or famine or or close to the brink of that um, which is pretty terrifying um, uh, yeah to think through and I th- yeah it was it was quite a hardcore session um, but I think important
0: it's quite a reminder isn't it that these big things happen war and pandemic and sometimes it's needed to basically give us a kick up the backside to get things done around vaccination access and food security and, and other things do you, do you get a sense that being here in Davos, the conversations you're having, people are starting to react in the right way and finally do something about these these issues?
3: I'm afraid to say not. Um, I, I came to Davos last time, so 2020, and I was really um, inspired, like kind of, um, what's the right word? I drew a lot of optimism from the fact that WEF uh, produced a new manifesto around stakeholder capitalism which suggested to me that the trends are going in a better direction where business and capitalism is taking more responsibility for its social environmental footprint. And last night I was at a New York Times dinner where the the kind of headline question was, is stakeholder capitalism at crossroads? So the idea that we're already kind of questioning that, um, I think is indicative of the fact that we haven't actually... Properly, and I say we, as in like the, the CEOs and the politicians and the kind of like um, the infrastructure that's running the world right now, hasn't actually fully woken up to the reality that these are these these are not choices. It's not like we can choose to ignore the climate science and not have to deal with um, repercussions. And it feels. Like two parallel realities. I mean, the sessions that I did at Arctic Base Camp and in Gold's House have been very inspiring, different indigenous speakers, youth activists, economists, climate scientists, like really amazing content. Um, But as I've kind of circumnavigated closer to actually what's going on with WEF, I feel um, it feels like two parallel realities, and um, I wonder how there can be more symbiosis between the outside and the inside.
0: Sitting here in Gold's House, as we are in Davos... Is there anything that's giving you room for optimism? The people you're talking to here, the conversations you're having, the things you're picking up on. Any optimism?
3: I think the optimism can always be chosen. You know, optimism, I think, is a choice and a state of mind. And it's not giving up. And I think that, yeah, there are tons of people here who are here because they're not giving up. And there are lots of great ideas. Um, So yeah I think it's a choice I try to make and some days I'm better at it and other days not so good um but I do try and make that choice because I do think um the future is unwritten
4: I'm Bennett Richardson, co-founder and president of Protocol, a technology publication for world leaders from the publisher of Politico. Uh, And we're here as a part of our launch of Protocol Climate. So we actually worked with Gold's House at South by Southwest to launch Protocol Climate. And that is our coverage of both how technology is helping to solve the climate crisis, as well as how the tech industry is reckoning with its own climate impact and its own environmental impact. And I think for us, um, having that conversation and showing the role and the Risks that technology can play around not only climate but all of our sustainable development goals uh, is super important. It's why we're excited to be here. How are you finding the tone of conversation here in Davos, here at Goals House? You know, I think it's really uh, action-oriented and urgent this year. I think for a number of reasons. Once uh, the pandemic break of not having these convenings, not being able to meet with and collaborate with so many brilliant people from around the world, uh, but also the need. For for impact, the need for change, especially in climate, but in so many areas, I think is is really urgent this year. And so what I've been really heartened to hear from a lot of the speakers that we've been talking to uh, is this desire to make impact right now, to not just dream about this perfect solution that might take 10 or 20 years to build, but what can we do right now that will have impact in the next four to five years? I think that's especially important in climate with really not just focusing on the long-term ambition, but what can we do short-term to fix things? But that's true of really all of our sustainable development goals. We need to be making progress immediately as well as building that, that bigger, better future.
0: The last two years feel like they've taken a decade to get by, but a couple of terms have popped up, and I want to ask you if, they, if they're still relevant. The Great Reset and Build Back Better, do you get a sense that that is going to happen now that people are reinvigorated somehow after the pandemic. I say after the pandemic, it's still happening in some places, but as the pandemic
4: perhaps wanes, do you feel that there's still that energy to build back better now? I think there really is. And I think it's because Not only in areas that are new, emerging technologies, emerging industries like psychedelics, like Web3, there's topics and whole industries that are represented at WEF this year that have never been here before. And I think that that ability to to not just reinvent and reset, but to create new is really reinvigorating the conversation here. So I think that that is absolutely possible. And I think that seeing those new industries, those new disciplines and technologies, is actually having a really effective uh, push onto the more traditional folks that are here the industries like healthcare and energy and financial services that are here it forces them to try and reinvent themselves and build back better themselves even more even more quickly and so i do think that those themes are really important and they're they're interconnected really deeply final question how have you found Goals House as a place to, to discuss all this kind of stuff? You know, Goals House has for a long time, for me personally, just been an amazing experience in place. Had the joy of being involved in, in Davos House for, for three times now, all three, I guess, uh, as well as some of the experiences uh, that we did virtually during the pandemic uh, in New York during Climate Week and, and Protocol was one of the launch partners at the first South by Southwest Goals House. So it is, uh, It's a crucially important collaborative community, so many of these conversations are bilateral between the big private sector and the biggest governments uh, at places like WEF. And those are extremely important, extremely impactful conversations, but you need more diverse voices at the table. Gold's House is uniquely good at bringing together artists, activists, academics, Entrepreneurs, ecopreneurs, and those big public and private sector voices, and I think that having that diverse conversation could not be more important right now. So I think Gold's House is doing amazing work.
5: So my name is Gafu, and I'm from Toronto, Canada. Currently living in Rwanda, and I work for Arts Help, uh, and it is a um, digital arts not-for-profit.
0: What have you been talking about, Adiam, at uh, Gold's House this week?
5: So we've been talking about the Conscious Crypto Creator Program, and it is a program that we created to help um, artists understand the environmental impacts of cryptocurrency.
0: That's a big topic.
5: It is a very big topic, and so part of the work that we do is create oge- uh, sorry, education modules uh, that really make these really big macro ideas very digestible for the artists in a language that they understand, and it's also visually appealing, so it's really fun to watch.
0: Are you optimistic that people will come away from Davos this week and actually affect some positive changes?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think we're a testament to that. Uh, We're an artist community and uh, we were invited here. And so that is actually a first step. So I think that that is very hopeful for us and that there will be real impact.
0: Final question. How have you enjoyed Gold's House? How have you found the conversation? Has it been stimulating, educating? Tell me how you found it.
5: Yeah, I loved being at the Global Goals House because um, from the first night, you know, we we met a a great diverse group of people and just seeing them over and over and seeing sort of what they're doing and how they're making impact and networking is a real game changer for a lot of us because we're able to take our mandate that is very aligned with everyone here and push it forward in our respective industries.
6: So my name is Jack Harries. Um, I'm from London, England, and I'm a documentary filmmaker and the co-founder of Earthrise Studio.
0: Jack, what brings you to uh, Davos for the World Economic Forum this year?
6: Yeah, it's my first time ever coming to Davos. It's uh, it's an experience for three days in so far and I'm sort of just fascinated by the whole thing. But um, I'm here, I was here doing a talk today about climate anxiety. So really looking at the cross-section between mental health and the climate crisis. And, um, you know, it's been amazing to see the presence of that here at WEF. There's a lot about psychedelics and the climate crisis and mental health and it's been
0: fascinating. Are you surprised that that topic is on the agenda? Because I think people might have a, a different view of what goes on here if they, if they never come and engage with it.
6: Yeah, totally. I'm very surprised and. I mean, I'm sort of aware we're sort of in a bit of a bubble. We're in like the climate bubble. So, you know, I've been to so many amazing events about climate and it does make you think, wow, it's great. It's being spoken about how much that's representative of the, the wider WEF, I don't know. But um, yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, I think it's something that's changing rapidly, isn't it? You know, climate has become a mainstay of these sorts of events as it should be. And we just need the
0: action to follow. Climate anxiety, I mean, it could be sort of paralyzing, you know, people sort of afraid of what's going to happen but that doesn't prompt them to necessarily do anything about it is that, is that a fair assumption?
6: Yeah that's a really good way to put it yeah there's um, yeah it's sort of this sense of complete overwhelm I think that many young people feel and they have this sort of flight or fright you kind of just want to run away deny the whole thing or you're just sort of stuck and don't know how to act and um, in our, we made this two part documentary series for, for YouTube Originals and we really we talked to a few amazing psychologists and it's about how do you work through those feelings how do you sit with them and, and accept them actually not pathologize it as something that's wrong with you but accept that it's a really natural response to the crisis we're facing um, so that's, that's, that's what I was talking about today and uh, you know, I think it's when we actually move through those feelings of grief of fear anxiety shame guilt these are all the words that come up when you speak to young people about climate anxiety so when you move through them you make space for them that actually we can land in that place of acceptance and start to take action
0: what other kind of conversations have you been having here this week
6: I mean, I was at this psychedelics dinner last night. that was pretty fascinating. Um, But yeah, a lot about, and actually trauma became a bit of a mainstay of that. And, you know, there's so much happening in the world with the the war in Ukraine and then obviously the the pandemic over the last two years and then the wider climate crisis, growing inequality crisis, food prices, living costs, you know, so much, so many converging crises at the moment. And at the heart of that, I think, is a sort of sense of trauma that a lot of people are feeling. And so um, I'm really interested in how we can start to do the work within ourselves. It's not just out there. You know, I mean, we need to make the world a better place but that actually starts in ourselves and it's amazing to see that sort of conversation
0: come into into Weth Final question if people leave here with one important thing that they remember what do you hope that would be?
6: Oh, yeah, that's a good question. You know, one of the themes that's been uh, across everything I've done here is about listening. You know, we've done some amazing listening sessions with with Indigenous elders and been given some tutorials on how to better listen. Um, And I think that that is something that needs to happen in a big way, but particularly listening to young people. You know, there are a few amazing youth activists that are dotted around the conference, infiltrating the discussions and the negotiations. And these are powerful voices from around the world. Vanessa Nakate, Elizabeth Watuti, Helena Guilinga and her sister Nina. Gorlinga, indigenous activists from Ecuador. So, really listening to those voices and not just listening, but listening, really understanding what they're saying and uh, allowing it to move us and and act on it.
7: I'm Tim Wainwright, I'm the chief executive of WaterAid uh, based in the UK. Tim, tell me about the conversations you've been having at Davos this week. Well, I think it's been um, great to engage with people who are grappling with big global problems. Uh, So, for instance, just now, uh, I work on water, but I've been engaging with people who are worrying about uh, food supply in the world and the impact of climate change that has has on that. And obviously a lot of the impact of climate change is through water. So we were talking about water and food and what to do about that to make the world a more resilient place
0: wherever people are listening to this right now they will have noticed food prices have gone up they may be experiencing unseasonably high temperatures in india and in spain and you know potential risk of drought there. People are feeling these challenges right now, perhaps like never before.
7: Uh, Indeed, Um, particularly, and you've mentioned it, but particularly in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia, parts of the world actually that did the least to cause the climate crisis. Um, But you're seeing um, extremes of weather. So for instance, uh, in India, where in a a season you would typically have 10 rainfall, rainfall incidents, big, big downpours, Now you get one. And when that happens, the water runs off quickly into rivers and into the ocean, and it doesn't replenish the groundwater supply. So the groundwater supply starts to drop. Um, and then you're getting into real problems because wells start running dry, uh, farmers can't irrigate fields, um, families can't uh, can't access uh, clean water. So we're we're talking about these problems. We're trying to work out how to generate more investment um, to to ensure water security. We did a Water did a report recently on World Water Day um, back in back in March, 22nd of March, uh, which talked about the potential from groundwater um, in Africa, for instance. Uh, most of the countries in Africa have enough water uh, beneath them uh, to survive a five year drought some parts of Africa, some countries have enough water for 50 years of drought Um, but, but it can't be accessed you know, it's got 50 metres of rock so we do need investment both in infrastructure and services to secure long-term sustainable access to water we need to manage water much better uh, and make sure it reaches all the all the different people that need it
0: Um. here we are in gold's house how much of a difference does it make to you and the job you're trying to do in the campaign you're trying to to get alert people to how much of a difference does it make being here with the people you're able to access and engage with at Gold's House in Davos
7: um, well there's a lot of very influential people here and there's a lot of very well informed people here and it's, um, so it helps me to compare notes with other sectors and to hear different perspectives and um, it gives me a chance to meet people who actually have access to the funds that can be invested um, uh, to, to try and address some of these major major global problems so yeah it's great, a big thank you to Gold's House and um, it's great to be here
0: Great to have you. Last question is, if people take one thing, one message
7: away from this week, what would you hope that would be? Um, Don't take water for granted. It's how climate change impacts the human race, either too much or too little. And we need to worry about it. At the moment, not enough is being done to secure our future and our children's futures.
0: Thanks to all of my guests here in Davos and thanks to you for listening. Find out more about Goals House and the other important gatherings it's popping up at this year at goalshouse.com and on Instagram. Bye for now.